Book One from the point of view of Mrs. Gildea. Chapter Eleven of Lady Bridget in the Never Never Land by Rosa Prayed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. And what are you going to do, Biddy? How long are you going to stay with the talents? Until Rosamond gets tired of me, or I feel no further need of the moral support of the British throne, answered Lady Bridget lightly. I'm not sure whether I shall be able to stand Luke's jingo attitude in regard to labour and the indigenous population. All the colonial problems in capitals, observe. He does take his position so strenuously. It's no good my reminding him that even the Queen is obliged to respect a constitutional government. Bridget took a cigarette from a gold case with her initials in tiny precious stones across it and handed the case to Mrs. Gildare, who shook her head. Still too old-fashioned to smoke. I should have thought you'd have been driven to it here to keep the mosquitoes at a distance. Do you like my case, Joan? Willoughby Moore gave it to me, she asked. You didn't return it, then? Why should I have hurt his feelings? We weren't engaged. A meditative pause, and then suddenly, Evelyn Mary doesn't smoke. Nice girls don't. Biddy, I shall be sorry for Evelyn Mary if the Moors are to live in London and you go back there again, which I suppose you will do. You needn't suppose for certain that I shall go back. She savoured her cigarette slowly. I can't go on with that old life, the sort of life one has to lead with Aunt Eliza and the Gavericks and their set. I can't go on pushing and striving and rushing here and there in order to be seen at the right houses and join the hunt after fleeing eligibles. She gave a bitter little laugh, and then her tone changed to that ripple of frivolity in which nevertheless Mrs. Gildea discerned the underbeat of tragedy. Besides, even so, it's incongruous, impossible. I've come to the conclusion that the only things which make London, as I've known it, endurable are unlimited credit at a good dressmaker. Oh, and one of the beautiful new motor-cars. You don't mind travelling from Dan to Beersheba if you can do it in five minutes. But when you've got to catch omnibuses or take the tube, dressed in garden-party finery, well, it's all too disproportionate and tiresome. Mrs. Gildare laughed. You must remember that I am out of all your fine social business, except when I go as a reporter or look on from the upper boxes. It's abominable. It's stifling, exclaimed Lady Biddy. It kills all the best part of one. You know I've tried time after time to strike out on my own individual self, but I've always been brought back again by my hopeless, hopeless lack of practical knowledge of how to earn a livelihood. The one gift I'd inherited wasn't good enough to be of any use. If my mother had only left me the whole of her voice, I'd have been an opera singer, but I don't think I could have stood the drudgery, and I should have hated the publicity of it all. Joan, how did you ever manage to make yourself independent?' "'By drudging,' said Mrs. Gildare dryly. "'Besides, I was born differently, and I was brought up with practical people. "'Mr. McKeith, for instance. "'He told me about his having been what he called a cattle new-chum on your father's station. "'He wasn't exactly a new-chum. "'His father had owned a sheep-station up in the unsettled districts. "'It was a tragedy. "'The place was sold up when Colin was a boy. "'He wanted to learn how we did things further south. "'And besides... He was left without a penny. That's how he came to be with us. Oh, anyway, he's practical. But it isn't that side of him that appeals to me. He believes in missions, in a sort of way. Mrs. Gildea laughed uneasily. So you have discovered the streak of idealism in Colin. But, she veered off hastily, I didn't want to talk about Colin McKeith. What I want to hear is about your own state of mind. My state of mind? That's chaotic. 
the fact is i feel in a horrible sort of transition state it's just as if one were trying to wind a skein backwards taking up one end and finding a confusion of knots then taking up another and after forcing a few of the knots giving the thing up in despair one knows the right end is there but how to find it through all that hopeless woolly tangle still you must have learned something about how to wind your skein while you've been working through your various enterprises said mrs gildea she took up one of bridget's sketches which were on the table and looked at it thoughtfully this is quite charming biddy if only it wasn't too fine for reproduction the block would cost more than the thing is worth biddy made a moo oh i know like me isn't it impracticable but i could do you some illustrations I drew Rosamond entertaining the ministerial circle last night and showed it to Vereker Wells while we were waiting for breakfast. He nearly died with laughing. I couldn't have dared to let Luke see it. That I can believe, and I should be murdered by the Leichhardtstonians if I allowed it to be published. But if you'd come with me through the Blue Mountains and caricature yourself exploring the Janolan Caves, like the Lady of Quality in the Dolomite Country, I could do something with that. Mrs. Gildea alluded to their first and only collaboration as author and artist. "'Yes, I might. We'll think about it. And if I did, perhaps I could make money enough to keep me out here for a year or two, travelling about.' Joan Gildea looked up in a startled way from the drawing she had been studying, and asked with some eagerness, "'Biddy, do you really mean that you are thinking of stopping out here for a year or two?' "'I do. I want to shake myself free from the old clogs. I want to be honest with myself and with with the people who are honest with themselves i've always envied you joan your life is real at least you can put your finger on vital pulse beats i should like to do as you are doing study and learn from a country that has no traditions but is making itself i want to breathe nature unadulterated if i could only reach the reality of her joan i have the feeling that if one could go right up to the bush far away from the government house atmosphere and luke tallant's red tapism and the stupid imitation of our english social shams well i think one might touch a more vital set of heartbeats than the heartbeats of civilization you are off civilization biddy yes i am i've had a horrible time i was quite reckless and spent far too much on clothes and things but that's not what matters it's the effect on one's inner self that matters and now I'm going through the pangs of revulsion, and just wondering where I can find anything that's true and satisfying. I believe it may be a kind of birth into a new life, coming out here, you know, and all the rest. She stopped, her long, golden-brown eyes fixed, sphinx-like, on Joan, who returned the gaze, but did not answer in words. Biddy went on. Your work is practical, not idealistic. I believe the truth of it all is that the idealists haven't built up on a practical basis. There's too much pose. Joan, I do think it's only the pinch of starvation that knocks down the ridiculous pose of people. True enough. Your cranks don't get much beyond pose. They think they do, but they don't. Even the ones who believe in themselves, and who are in their way truly sincere. Joan, do you know, there were moments at the meetings I went to of those people— Christian scientists, and my spiritual socialists, and all those fellow factory girls and tramps, and fellow beasts, and fellow blacks, and the rest of it, moments when a ghastly wonder would come over me whether, if we were all stranded on a desert island with a shortage of food and water, it wouldn't be a case of fighting for bare existence, 
and of nature red of tooth and claw true for you lady bridget i like the way that's put broke in a voice from the other side of the veranda railing lady bridget started and looked round a sudden flush rushing upon the ivory paleness of her face if she had not had her back turned to the garden if she had not left the gate open behind her and if the wind in the bamboos had not then made a noisy rustling she would have seen the visitor or heard his steps on the gravel path or if she had not been so absorbed in her subject and her cigarette she might have noticed that mrs gildea had looked up quickly a minute before and given a mute signal to the intruder not to interrupt the conversation untowardly. End of Book One, Chapter Eleven.